for Thursday, October 8th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the minority groups hit hardest by COVID-19 are also some of the least likely to volunteer to participate in the medical research for a coronavirus vaccine. There has been a historical well-earned mistrust to uh, medical research because of severe uh, misconducts in the past. Dr. Valeria Contos and her colleague, Dr. Colleen Kelly, who are running a coronavirus vaccine trial at Emory University, join me to discuss their efforts to get members of minority groups to participate. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Emory University in Atlanta is one of many sites around the country researching the safety and efficacy of a possible coronavirus vaccine. And they're making a big push to include Black and Latinx people. Minority groups have been some of the hardest hit by COVID-19. Doctors Colleen Kelly and Valeria Contos are part of the team running that research trial. They're with me now to discuss their efforts to reach out to communities that are generally hesitant to participate in medical research. Thank you all for joining me. And Dr. Kelly, let me start with you. We are here today to talk about the issue of minority recruitment for this trial and I think just generally about coronavirus vaccine trials in general. Let's start there. I mean, I'm really curious what recruitment in minority communities for the Moderna trial has looked like so far. How are you reaching out to these communities? What does that look like? Fortunately, we uh, come from an HIV research and HIV prevention and treatment research background where community engagement is, you know, the fabric of what we have been doing for years and years. And while it's not directly translatable, we've been able to kind of pivot a bit and make sure that uh, we are educating and engaging the community as best we can about the upcoming vaccine trials, be that with social media, with print ads, with word of mouth with reaching out to healthcare providers that can get the word out. We're really kind of using what we've learned in our HIV research programs and translating that into uh, coronavirus prevention and vaccine work as well. And then Dr. Contos can speak specifically to the Latinx community where she's done a tremendous amount of work over the last few months. Describe to me what you're actually out in these communities doing. Uh, This is Dr. Contos. So Uh, We've been 
trying to engage the Latinx community in clinical trials related to COVID, not only for the vaccine trials, but also for the treatment trials, uh, including remdesivir and other therapies. And we've been doing so uh, since March, really, since the epidemic started. One of the things that we did uh, was to engage with a local community-based organization called the Latino Community Fund to initially educate the community about, you know, what is COVID all about? How do you diagnose it, et cetera? And this created a good context of becoming a trustworthy person and organization for the Latinx community. We did these Facebook Lives and PSAs, both in Spanish and English, I think there is a component of trust when you see investigators and physicians who are Latinx as well and who can understand the needs of the community. And now, specifically for the vaccine trials, we have, of course, translated all of the materials in Spanish. We have hired a significant amount of staff members who are Latinx, who speak Spanish, who can provide comfort to the participants. And then we have continued to do some outreach with the Coronavirus Prevention Network and with other community-based organizations like the uh, Vecinos de la Beaufort Highway, um, etc. So Dr. Contes, it sounds like what you've really been doing is trying to lay some groundwork by being engaged with the community with other coronavirus-related services, testing, information, understanding that those would be good relationships going into vaccine trials? Well, even before the vaccine trials came to our side, we were already engaging with the community through our local community-based organization just because of the dire need for culturally responsive information about COVID. As you know, the Latinx community has been disproportionately affected by this pandemic. So we really needed to get that information out the way that it will be accepted by the community and understand by the community. And then when the vaccine trials came to our side, this created an opportunity to continue to uh, engage the community, to have representation uh, from them in clinical trials, to have their voices heard and at least provide them with a chance to make a decision about their health and their participation in these important clinical trials. Maybe, Dr. Kelly, this is a a question for you if you've kind of got the 30,000-foot view. How has this effort been going? If we want to think not only about the Latinx community, but other minority communities, what has recruitment looked like so far at the site that y'all are working on for this trial? And how do you track that? Well, our particular site has been doing quite well in recruiting underrepresented minorities. Um, We've been able to recruit a majority of underrepresented minorities of our participants. Um, And overall, the trial nationally has been doing a better job, including underrepresented minorities. So, so far, it's going fairly well. But, you know, we're also in this for the long haul. We have um, future vaccine trials that will be coming. And so we need to keep up these efforts um, and ensure that these efforts in um, reaching out to underrepresented minority communities is kind of long-lasting, and it's sustainable as well. 
I mean, I know that Moderna, they don't have really fine grain information about kind of enrollment trends week over week. But looking at the way enrollment has moved, it does appear like things have moved in a more positive direction, like you said, Dr. Kelly, with getting more and more minority groups engaged. That makes me wonder about how this engagement works over time. You mentioned that this has to be a sustained effort. This isn't just a one and done. You get the people you need and then it's over. Do do I have that right? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely right. And that's true. You know, it's got to be a sustained effort because there's going to be future vaccine trials. So this particular one is the Moderna product. But We're anticipating participating in other product trials in the near future as well. But then once, you know, the goal of this is to find an effective vaccine, right? So a vaccine that prevents coronavirus, either infection or disease. And in order for that vaccine to be effective, people have to want to get it. And so our efforts in community engagement and education go far beyond just the vaccine trials, because once we've done the job that we're here to do, which is find that effective vaccine, then we have to implement it. Then we have to get it to people. Then we have to make sure that enough people actually take the vaccine and get the vaccine, that we develop immunity in the community at levels that will reduce transmission. So it's not a a one and done thing, as you said. It's something that we're looking at and we're in for the long haul and the long term. And and Dr. Contos, I'm thinking this is maybe a question for you if you're more on the ground. What are some of the challenges that you face as you engage with the Latinx community when it comes to getting people interested and enrolled in a vaccine trial? You know, I've had conversations with black medical leaders about the challenges that they face as they try to engage with their community. But are there things that are specific to the Latinx community that are a particular challenge? And what are some conversations that you've had with people that maybe embody some of those challenges? So there are similarities in terms of the challenges that underrepresented minorities face when it comes to participation in research, specifically uh, between the African-American and the Latinx community. As you know, there has been a historical mistrust, well-earned mistrust to uh, medical research and uh, healthcare in general because of severe uh, misconducts in the past, and that has lingered up until now. In addition to that, there are certain barriers specific to the Latinx community, not only in terms of participation into clinical research, but also overall access to COVID-19 testing sites, access to healthcare if and when they become sick. And one of the biggest one is the constant fear of immigration authorities, uh, fear of deportation. So one of the things that we have worked on our side is to be completely transparent in terms of uh, explaining to the community why we are gathering certain information from them. There is always the issue with language. Most of the research staff have not receive a bilingual education in general, but also in terms of medical vocabulary. So it is hard to engage the community if the staff that is responsible of sharing the information doesn't uh, know Spanish, or if they do know Spanish, they haven't been trained in how to communicate effectively with the population. 
As principal investigator here, Dr. Kelly, what really is at stake if minority groups aren't involved in clinical research? First of all, we have to make sure that our um, results are representative of the entire population. And if we have a very homogenous white population involved in our clinical trials, um, that creates a lot of uncertainty, but also mistrust around the results and how they might apply to uh, diverse populations, including um, Black and Latinx populations. So it's really important that we can trust our trial results and be certain that we've had adequate representation across the board representing the diversity of folks in the U.S. and those affected by COVID. Um, We also want to make sure that the people who are most likely to benefit from a vaccine, and those are the people that are most highly affected, and right now those are Black and Latinx communities, have the opportunity to participate in the research that will get us to an effective vaccine. Uh, And so those who are most likely to benefit deserve the opportunity to participate in the research. This is something that the four historically black medical schools last month, they all put out this kind of joint call for making sure that the people running these trials, like the one that y'all are, are just really mindful of the inclusion of, of minority groups. What kind of impact does that have? It has a great impact because one thing that we're battling against is the, you know, historical atrocities of research in the U.S., particularly among among Black people. And the abuses that have occurred over time um, have led to a lot of mistrust and have led to a lot of disengagement, I would say, within research, within um, healthcare in general. And so we've got to kind of climb that mountain. We've got to be able to break down those barriers. And in order to do that, we've got to build back trust. And so when HBCUs come out or when prominent African-American voices come out and say this is important, it helps us to kind of build back that trust. So Dr. Contos, I'm curious for you, and this is maybe more of a personal question. I hope you don't mind that. I mean, you are a member of the community that you're working to reach out to. Talk a little bit with me, if you can, about the kind of personal nature of this work. I mean, is that something that comes into it for you? Yes, definitely. I think the fact that I am a Latina, I am from Ecuador, that not only that, but I was not born here in the United States. And actually, recent this year became a U.S. citizen. It has helped me understand, even if it's a little bit of the struggles that immigrant communities faced in the United States, especially those who are undocumented. So it it is very personal to me use the position of privilege that I have now as a healthcare provider supported by a large institution such as Emory University to give a voice to these immigrants community that have been neglected, segregated, and disregarded for so long. This particular trial, I know you've been recruiting for a while. Are y'all still recruiting you know, how far along in the trial are you? And maybe do we have a sense of when it might wrap up? So the current trial is getting close to completing its enrollment of um, approximately 30,000 people. But as I said, there are other uh, vaccine products that will go into clinical trials shortly after this one closes. So, you know, this one's doing well. It should complete its enrollment. 
soon, I would think in the next several weeks, and then we'll be moving on to a, a different vaccine product. Now, a lot of people wonder, you know, we've seen a lot in, in the news that we're going to have an effective vaccine before the end of the year, maybe before the election. All of that is based on the vaccine outcome, which is acquiring coronavirus disease. So now we follow these folks who've gotten the vaccine or who've gotten the placebo, and we follow them to see whether they acquire COVID. And once a certain number of people have acquired COVID uh, within the trial, uh, we can determine whether the vaccine worked or not. And it's all a timing game. So yes, it's possible that before the end of this calendar year, enough people will have acquired COVID within the vaccine trial to determine whether the vaccine is effective or not. And so that's what we are waiting on. It's a little bit of a waiting game. You know, it's, it's anyone's guess as to when that will happen. I think, you know, our national leadership have said that it could happen before the end of this calendar year, and that's possible, but we certainly don't know for sure. You bring up, I think, one of the most misunderstood things about a, a trial like this is it relies on people actually getting infected. Is it your sense that we have enough virus moving through the state of Georgia, the communities that you're recruiting from, that enough people will actually catch COVID? Well, we have to see. Currently in Fulton and DeKalb counties, our transmission rates are actually quite low. They're lowest um, as they've ever been. And, and that's a great thing, believe me. Other parts of the state, that's not the case. Um, so I think that is exactly why the trial is so large. There's going to be 30,000 people in this particular trial. Some of the trials are even bigger, 40, 50, 60,000 people. All of that is by design such that we will be able to count enough people who acquire COVID disease in a timely fashion. So, you know, we will see. We still have enough COVID in Georgia and in Fulton and DeKalb counties, despite our low transmission rates, that, you know, we will contribute uh, meaningful data, I'm sure, to the trial. But, you know, this is something that's a bit of a moving target, unfortunately. I've had so many conversations with people over the course of the pandemic about how this disease just really exposes a lot of the health disparities that existed before anyone knew what SARS-CoV-2 actually was, and that the different communities that we're seeing hit harder by this, predominantly minority communities, are really just exposing those inequities. I mean, if that was the state of things previously, are you optimistic that developing a vaccine, rolling it out, making sure it gets to people, that it can overcome those big disparities? This is Dr. Canto. So I don't think that the coming out with an effective vaccine would be a magic response, not only to COVID, but to the existing social and structural inequalities that affect disease outcome for Black and Latinx community, an effective vaccine for sure will mitigate the further damage that COVID has caused in families, in income, in the economy, but it will certainly not reverse all of the, first, the existing damage that it has caused and also the existing inequalities overall. I think in order to address that, we really need to look at these uh, structural variables, housing segregation, healthcare access, poverty, structural racism, in order to bring health equity to all populations in the United States with a special focus on minority communities. 
Doctors Valeria Contos and Colleen Kelly are part of the team running a coronavirus vaccine trial at Emory University. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. Special thanks to Stephen Key, who is leaving our podcast team this week. You've done so much for this show in the months since we've got it up and running. Thank you so much and best of luck. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. That really helps others find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.